Lily's man of business. She could set it aside unopened. The fluffy aunts invested in cog production and rope inventories and God knew what, and didn't seem to go bankrupt. She slipped her letter opener under the seal of the next letter and loosed the news that Mr. Owens, owner of the Sparrow Bookshop in London, had located a copy of De Componendis Chiefry, exhaustively described herein. How much would they authorize him to bid on it? That went to the pile on the far left for Aunt Violet, who collected. A bill for a hat slid into a drawer with other bills to be paid next time she was in London. A letter from Germany in German. That was for Aunt Lily. Paper by paper, she sorted order out of chaos. It was not unlike decoding in its way. Aunt Lily stalked about, muttering in the other room. Not Ogum, not Welsh. Next, he's going to spout nonsense about Aramaic. The letter opener was an antique dagger from Italy, honed to a killing edge. But no one would wonder why she kept a deadly weapon in the house, lay it gently in a desk drawer, and the knife became unremarkable as a goose quill. It was beautiful in a spare, serious way the sort of knife one of her Baldoni ancestors would have used to commit murder. She'd bought it in London eight years ago for that purpose, and it worked. She hadn't killed anybody with it since. The knife was also perfectly good at opening letters. The next offering of the mail was a note, elegantly addressed and hand-delivered from the manor. There would be a tea next Tuesday. Would the Mrs. Leyland care to attend? Tea and tittle-tattle, chatter of King Charles Spaniels, flooding in the lower fields. The fluffy aunts would love it. She set that aside to write a bright, cheery answer letter, because the bottom of the pile held something more interesting. Her last but not least of the morning was a square packet wrapped in clean brown paper tied with string. It was wider than her hand and not much thicker than an ordinary letter, Some object about the size of a shilling weighted the center. Because of what she'd once been, because of what she'd once known, she saw the dozens of small details and tried to fit them into a pattern. Shopkeeper paper, suitable to wrap Byron's poems or a ham. Ordinary twine, unremarkable red wax for the seal. That seal slopped over the flap of the paper and the knot in the twine. It would be hard to lift undetectably if anyone took a notion to engage in that sort of behavior. The signet could have been the letter L, or a boat, or a duck. The aunts had an eclectic network of friends spread to every corner of the map. Sometimes their friends sent curios. But when she turned the little package over, it was addressed to her, not one of the aunts. Educated writing, probably in a man's hand— The postmarks showed it had been sent from London four days ago. She cut the string and smoothed the wrapping back to reveal a sheet of cream-colored writing paper inside, folded in thirds, then folded inward at the sides. When she picked it up, a ring fell out to spin in a long, small clatter and wobble itself flat. A gold ring. Her fingers told her it was real gold, and worth far too much to send in a letter through the post. The band held a pearl the size of a pea. She slanted it to the light. It was set in a circle of ten very nice little rubies, 
Well-matched, square-cut, excellent color, about a carat, all told. Very nice indeed. A child's ring. She'd seen this somewhere. Her body recognized disaster before her mind did. She read the first lines of the letter and distinctly, crystal by spiked crystal, she felt herself turn to ice. My dear Camille, we are not yet acquainted, so I enclose this small token as introduction. You will have seen this ring in the portrait that hangs above the fireplace in the parlor of Wyth Cottage. Hyacinth Bizenson, nay, Leyland, toys with a brown and white spaniel named Felix, called Lixlix. The child to her left, the genuine Camille Bizenson, wears this ring. She is here with me now. I foresee great awkwardness when this somewhat more.